0: Good morning, you lovely, lovely people. You doing okay? Good. Excellent. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dale, and I'm part of the team that helps lead uh, New Life Community Church. Today, we're going to continue our current preaching series in the book of Mark with a look at chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you head there? My message is called, Jesus in the storm. Now, most of your translations might say something like, Jesus calms the storm. It feels like that gives away the ending a little bit. So, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> We haven't got loads of text to get through this morning, so I have separated out the verses, and we're going to unpack them a little bit as we go. But before we do that, let's just set the scene. We know from the previous verses in chapter 4 that Jesus has been busy preaching and teaching both the crowds and his disciples. He's been doing that all day. He's been doing it from a boat that's been moored up on the seashore. And it's fair to say at this point that Jesus was probably pretty tired, pretty worn out, and he was ready for some rest. I'm going to pray and then we're going to read the first few verses. Heavenly Father... I pray, Lord God, still our hearts this morning. God, in this uh, chapter, Lord, in these verses that can be so familiar to us, I pray, bring us fresh revelation, stir our hearts and incline our ears towards you once once again. God, we pray that this would do us much good as we consider your word. Amen. Okay. Mark 4, we're going to look at 35 to 36, verses 35 36 first. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. I'm going to start there with that last bit because I love this. This is one of those little incidental details that happens and probably only occurs in eyewitness statements. Yes, some other boats left with us. Don't know what happened to them. They just disappear. Nobody knows. It's not mentioned again. But that points to the fact that this is an actual eyewitness account. It's not a story that someone's put together. Otherwise, you'd have to have a, a resolution to where the other boats went. There's really only one main point I want to pull out of this section. Jesus tells the disciples to head to the other side of the lake. They're not doing it for fun. Jesus has given them an instruction. Which is a little bit weird because it's getting late. Evening has come and Jesus has been preaching all day. What would have made sense is for them to pull back to the shore and find a place for Jesus to rest. But instead Jesus gives them this clear instruction. To make a crossing to the other side. Why? Because Jesus has got work to do there. We know from chapter 5. That he's got a divine appointment with a demon possessed man. And a herd of pigs. Tim's going to Tim's gonna unpack that one next week. So they set off whilst Jesus tries to rest. Rest. On the way, verse 37, but soon a fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now, this is not a little storm. It's not like when you go outside and it's a bit windy and you come in and say, oh, it's blowing a gale out there. It's not like that. This word storm here means like whirlwind or hurricane or tempest. The boat itself is in real danger of sinking. The waves alone could have smashed that little boat to pieces. Not to mention the fact that as the waves crashed over it, the thing is actually filling with water. This is panic stations. You can imagine the disciples desperately trying to bail out water between waves. They're buffeted by the wind and their faces are stinging from the driving rain and the salty sea spray. It's not a little storm. This is terrifying. At some moments, I imagine them scurrying about, trying to tie things down to stop them flying around the deck. In other moments, they're probably grabbing hold of something for dear life so they're not washed overboard. This is the type of sudden, terrifying storm that even seasoned sailors feared. And there were those amongst Jesus' disciples, fishermen who'd spent most of their lives on the sea. Alongside that, in ancient thought, especially in this area of the world, the sea itself was understood to have a connection to chaos, to evil, and to death. There was something uncontrollable and chaotic about the sea. Unpredictable. And it it often led to death. Man was at its mercy, and only God had authority over it. So from the disciples' perspective, the unpredictable, malevolent sea had risen up against them, and it seemed intent on dragging them down. Into its steps. Understandably, then, they were filled with fear. Their very lives were hanging in the balance. And where was Jesus? (laughs) Verse 38 Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're gonna drown! Now, you may find it odd that Jesus was still asleep at this point. I, on the other hand, don't. I personally fell asleep on the Isle of Wight Ferry recently, which is nothing like this. Uh, But the point is, I still slept despite all the activity and noise that was going on around me. In fact, the only reason I woke up is because I was snoring and woke myself up with my own snoring, which was incredibly embarrassing in a big ferry full of people. I've fallen asleep on the train to London. Uh, I've fallen asleep in a travel lodge bath. Again, not really relevant, but there is water involved. (laughs) I've fallen asleep for the majority of a film in a cinema. And I've fallen asleep in more than one lecture over the years. Uh, My teachers will testify to that. To be honest, it takes all my energy not to instantly fall asleep the minute I get in the passenger seat of a car. You could be talking away to me, I don't care, gone, sleep. In fact, my wife, Michelle, she often tells me in a a rather rude tone that I could sleep if a bomb went off next to me. Um, She's probably right, to be fair. So I am not surprised that Jesus was able to sleep. I do think the guy was exhausted. But that's part of what's so amazing about this story. It highlights Jesus' humanity, his frailty, Who knows? Maybe he occasionally woke himself up with his own snoring. I don't know. The point is, he is fully human. He got tired, and he had to sleep, just like me and you. But the disciples didn't have time to be thinking these sorts of thoughts. They couldn't believe that Jesus was still sleeping. They were, to be honest, more than a little peeved about it. They say, Jesus, don't you care about what's happening here? Don't you care? That we're about to die? These guys were absolutely terrified, and you you would be, wouldn't you? Imagine driving your car, and you suddenly realize you've got no brakes. And Jesus is asleep in the back. You're going to make some noise. Jesus, (laughs) there's no brakes. Do something. Verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence. Be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. I love this moment. There's no showmanship here. This is what separates me and Jesus, really. If it was me, I might strut to the front of the boat, put my, hand, my foot on the bow, raise my hands and say, Silence! Be still! Relief, just revealing a little bit more about my character that is not normal here. Jesus doesn't do that. He simply wakes up and he speaks. Jesus just speaks. And at his word alone, the mighty roaring waves break for the final time at his feet and then bow in humble submission. Even as the ferocious howling wind holds its breath in awe of the majesty and the wonder of King Jesus. Where a moment ago there was nothing but deafening noise and chaos and terror and the threat of death, there is now nothing but silence, order, peace, and the joy of life. I imagine there's not a cloud in the sky. The little boat bobs happily as tiny waves playfully lap at its hull and light dances and sparkles across. A serenely calm sea. I imagine the disciples collapsed on the deck with a mixture of exhaustion, relief, and utter shock at what's just happened. Silence and peace. Then, after a moment, Jesus himself breaks the silence again, verse 40. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I'm going to be honest. Jesus' words here cut me to the quick when I read them. I felt for the disciples. And I wrestled with his question. I was praying as I was chewing it over. I was like, what what do you mean, Jesus? Why are you annoyed with your disciples? What if they do wrong why are you asking why are they afraid how can they not be these guys are seasoned sailors and this is a very real and rational response to a life threatening situation why do you reprimand them and why Jesus why do you question their faith why are you even bringing it up what lesson are you trying to teach them and by extension me in all this How am I supposed to apply this to my life? And I thought maybe the disciples, maybe they shouldn't have woken Jesus. Maybe that's what they did wrong. Maybe they should have been so fearless in the storm that they were able to follow Jesus' example and sleep soundly through it too. And if the boat sinks, it sinks. Maybe that's what we're supposed to learn There's a whole world of theology that probably teaches Christians to behave that way. Is that what we are to do? Is the lesson that when the storms of life come our way, we don't need to bother Jesus. We just need more faith. We need to keep our chin up. We need to knuckle down and we need to push through no matter what happens. Is that the takeaway from Jesus in the storm? No, because that's utter rubbish. That's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what the Bible says. The pattern we see in the Bible is that whenever there is a problem, whatever the problem is, the answer is always come to Jesus, right? Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see the pattern? When there's a problem, you come to Jesus. You receive help in your time of trouble, and you receive peace. So, what did the disciples do wrong? What was the problem? Well, I don't think the problem was what the disciples did at all. I think the problem is what they said, which was really just a reflection of what they believed. The first hint of this is when they wake Jesus by calling him teacher. Now, it is 100%, of course, true, Jesus was their teacher. We've seen him teaching both the crowd and the disciples right through Mark's account so far. But let's remind ourselves of what Jesus has been teaching them. Firstly, Jesus' teaching itself was nothing like the teaching around it, nothing like the teaching of his contemporaries, because Jesus taught with supernatural authority. Jesus taught them that he had authority over the powers of darkness, like demons and he regularly freed people from them. Jesus taught them that he had authority over human bodies, which he restored and he healed wherever he went. Jesus taught them he had authority to forgive sins, which, by the way, is something that only God can do. Jesus taught them that he had authority to interpret and apply the law. And he taught them that his way of interpreting and applying the law was the right way. And Jesus taught them that he alone knew the mysteries of God's kingdom and could explain them. In each of these moments, Jesus was revealing that he wasn't just a good man, a teacher, but the God-man, the Messiah. But the disciples... They didn't understand. They haven't grasped this. When they look at Jesus asleep in the boat, they don't see God in human form. They see their tired teacher. So (laughs) Jesus reveals himself to them yet again. In his humanity, he was exhausted and slept, but now displaying his divinity, he rises and with a word declares that the wind and the waves should rage no more. And instantly they cease with a word. Psalm 89, eight to nine. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93, 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Only God can calm the waves in the sea because only God is mightier. In stilling the wind and the waves, Jesus demonstrates again that he is God. And because of that, even the elements themselves are simply his servants. The second problem with what the disciples said was that gut-wrenching accusation they hurled against Jesus in that moment. Don't you care that we are going to drown? They couldn't. They couldn't see Jesus rushing around, being active and doing something. So they assumed that Jesus just didn't care about what was happening. But again, they, they really didn't understand the reality of the situation. A terrible irony, of course, is that this is Jesus whom they accuse, the one who cared so much about not only these men, but all people, That he was willing to give up his life in exchange for theirs. To die in their place and for their sin so they could have eternal life in a right relationship with God. If they knew, if they understood whose head was really resting on that pillow, would they have said that to his face? This is Yahweh, the one true God. This is I am who I am. This is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator and sustainer of the universe asleep on a pillow. You're gonna ask him whether he cares? This is God himself incarnate. That means in the flesh, in human form. And in the end, the disciples do begin to see, verse 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked one another. Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, the root of the disciples' problem was that their fear was in entirely the wrong place. Can you see how here in verse 41, their fears moved from the storm to the one who even the wind and the waves obey? Jesus called them out, not because they had an unhealthy fear of a storm, but because they didn't have a healthy fear of who he was. If they'd had a right understanding of who he was, and a healthy fear of his majesty and his power, their approach to the storm and to waking Jesus would have been radically different. They would have approached him for help with reverence and a faith-filled expectation that he would either calm the storm or see them safely through it. Remember, Jesus instructed them to go on that journey and he was more than capable of preserving them on it. Psalm 110.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. So how do we apply what we've looked at this morning to our own journeys with Jesus? Well, the first thing to say is that Jesus never promises we won't face storms in our lives. In fact, the Bible itself is full of warnings that following Jesus means we will encounter all sorts of struggles, trials, and difficulties along the way. What Jesus does promise is that whether it's plain sailing or stormy seas, he is right there in the boat with us every time. And even when it seems like he's asleep because we can't see him doing anything, We can approach him with reverence for help. And we can bring a faith-filled expectation that he will either calm the storm or he will see us safely through it. And that, by the way, doesn't always mean that we'll arrive on the other side totally unscathed. You've got to imagine those disciples were beaten around a bit. Sometimes we get through the storm beaten, battered, and bruised. And in all honesty, the reality is sometimes believers go into a storm, but they don't come out again in this life. Sometimes, in his love and his mercy, Jesus brings our boats to rest in his heavenly kingdom where there are no storms. But this is why, this is why, dear brothers and sisters, We need to know, excuse me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, who it is that is in the boat with us. We need a big picture of our glorious King Jesus, so that when the challenges, the struggles, and the trials of life do come, we don't have an unhealthy fear of the storm, but a healthy fear of our glorious King Jesus, the one who the very wind and the waves obey, the name above all names, the one who has authority over our human bodies and over all the powers of darkness, the one who alone has the authority to forgive sins, write his law on our hearts and to reveal the mysteries of his kingdom, the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, not just a good man, not a teacher, but the God man, the Messiah, the king of the universe. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and begin to lead us in a response. <clears throat> Tim has recently shared a word from God with us that as, an, as a whole eldership team, we feel is very significant for the season ahead. It's rooted in a scripture from Acts 9.31. Which I'll read. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We believe that in God, we are going to see our church across all of our sites experience peace, being built up and multiplying. Amen? And that's encouraging. That's exciting. That's that's wonderful news. But I believe God said to me as I was preparing this message that in order for that to happen, we need to be truly walking in the fear of the Lord. So I want to ask you, do you truly know who's in the boat with you? Not do you know it in your head, but do you, do you know it in the depth of your being, in your heart? Does that knowledge shape how you feel and how you behave when the storm comes? I wanna ask you, where is your fear? Is it in the storms of this life? Or is it in the one who has the authority over not just the wind and the waves, but all reality for all eternity? Brothers and sisters, do you have a healthy fear of our holy God? Have you accused him in your heart of indifference towards your suffering? Have you said you don't care? I want, to, I want to offer you an opportunity to respond during our worship. If you want God to give you a fresh revelation of the incredible reality of of the one who's in the boat with you, I'd love to pray with you. If you've been beaten, battered, and bruised by a storm, come and receive strength from the Lord. And if you said in your heart, Jesus doesn't care, come and receive forgiveness, restoration, and a fresh impartation of faith from Him this morning. And finally, if you've been stirred, by what we've looked at and you personally want to begin a new season of walking in the fear of the Lord then come and receive prayer because I believe God wants to do that with all of us and I hand over to the worship team